those of you who might be listening by way of uh, the internet and seeing us, we are grateful to have you here as well. We know it's not fun to do it this way, but we are thankful to God that we can at least still worship, that we're not being restricted to worship. Uh, we are asked to, to be mindful, but let's continue to worship our God in spirit and in truth. So we are in Advent, and we'll be focusing some themes on that. But here we are. Uh, if you're like me, we're, I, I love Christmas. I like getting ready for it. And we're, we're, at, we're facing another Christmas season, but it's le- unlike anything before, right? I mean, who has ever experienced this? Where we are not able to worship even Christmas the way we've done before. Grateful for Heather and the others who've decorated the sanctuary. If you can't see it, it's, it feels like Christmas. It looks like Christmas. We're grateful for that. We need that visual reminder, don't we? We see so many other things. Let's, let's look to things that remind us of what we have. We have the same traditions. Uh, we have the same songs we're singing, but it's a very different setting. This is not right. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying it hurts. It hurts to see that we can't worship the way we want. Yet let me remind you what you already know. What we are celebrating, what we are celebrating at Christmas is an immovable and unchangeable message. No matter what the setting, it never changes. It will never be affected. You know, in our church history and in the church calendar that many churches follow, we call this the Advent season. It's a very familiar term that we all use. And that term Advent comes from a Latin term whose Greek translation is similar, and it simply means coming. To say we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the coming, the coming. In early church history, as I've researched this a little bit more, in many places in early church history, first century church and so on, there was a stronger emphasis back then on the two Advents, the two comings of Christ. In other words, the believers couldn't think of one without thinking of the other. They couldn't think of the birth of Jesus without thinking of the second coming or advent. When you and I appreciate the significance of what happened in that manger in Bethlehem, I think what that should happen to us is that we should spend the rest of our earthly life trying to understand more who Jesus really is and and what he meant when he said he would be having a second advent, a a time in history when he would come again. So let's look at this passage of his first advent, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Again, for many of us, a very familiar story that we don't even need this reading. We could almost recite it. But let me read again verses 18, actually through the end of the chapter. So hear now God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, a very familiar story, a very familiar memory for many of us. So it's a good thing to pause even now before we look further at this old story and ask you anew, what does Christmas or what does Advent, what's that mean to you? When I say Christmas or Advent, what, what immediately conjures up in your mind? What are some things that you are thinking? What, what does this thing called Advent mean to you? I would suggest to you as we embark on this passage and this particular name, there's no higher thought, no higher thought in life to have at Christmas than Emmanuel. No higher thought to think about than the Hebrew term that captures it all. Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, what a profound name to have been given. So how do we, how do we prepare for yet another Christmas season? Many of us have done this for years. How do you prepare again? And I would challenge us, how do we... How do we not be distracted by this new norm? Are you excited about Christmas? Uh, I think so, but <laughs> there's so many things distracting me. Things like the absence of a crowded sanctuary. This is not right, friends. I love you, but I love more people. This should be packed, right? We should be having celebration by conversations, hugs, close up face to face. We can't do this. And the choir, where's the choir? How can you have Christmas without the cantata? Without these people bellowing out rich reminders of the birth of Jesus Christ? Or these face masks, I love you, but you're not that attractive with face masks. <laughs> what about the clear absence of brothers and sisters no longer with us like Frank? How can you get excited? How can we face another one? Oh, friends, I know it's hard, but I'm speaking to myself as well as you. I think one of the first things we still have to wrestle with, we have to take ourselves to task and, and try to focus not on what we don't have, but what we do have in Christ, in his advent, that which can never be taken away. I would suggest, let's go back to the beginning to understand just why Jesus had to come in the first place. This pleasant birth in Bethlehem was for a painful purpose. To save people from death 
and from hell. That's why Jesus came. Do you believe that? Do you believe that why this little baby was born and we get so excited about it? Do you believe he came to save you from hell? To save you from death? To give you life? There's a preacher from World War II, a German theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had such a powerful impact on the church in Germany. He was a a profound evangelical believer who was increasingly offended and in opposition to that Third Reich and what Hitler was doing. And when he saw, he would speak boldly against it and call Christians to unite even against that. And it cost him his life. He wrote some profound things about the Christian faith, but listen to what he wrote about Advent. He knew what he was talking about. Quote, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. What does Advent mean to you? In our passage this morning in Matthew, and I believe in our closing hymn that was chosen intentionally, in our closing hymn, we're going to see the strange significance of this birth that would literally change the world. We'll see the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. It'll find its culmination in the explosive yet quiet entry of Jesus, who would be named Emmanuel. What a name. God with us. Not around us, not above us. God with us. Friends, that's a profound thing you should not get used to saying. His name is Emmanuel. This story we celebrate each year, it's it's exciting, but friends, at the same time, It's one of the strangest stories ever told, isn't it? Look again at the very familiar story and and tell me this doesn't seem strange. This is not normal, is it? The bulk of this passage we read from Matthew is about Mary's pregnancy and the essence of the life or baby in her womb. I, I think the first strange and obvious fact is where this baby came from. (laughs) This is not normal. A young, think about it. Now step back, friends. This is not just some fairy tale. This happened in real life. A young couple, they're basically engaged, preparing to get married, and she's found out to be pregnant. (laughs) Let's try to step aside from this and think about it. A young couple planning to get married but they're pregnant. Now, sadly, this doesn't resonate to us anymore, does it? That's no longer strange in our society, is it? Oh, they're a sweet couple. They're thinking about getting married. She's she's pregnant. I hope you have a good baby, and I hope it works out fine. I'm glad that that you kind of care for each other. We hope it works out. That's acceptable, right? Premarital sex and pregnancy, it's now an acceptable norm. I'm not trying to be the old man. (laughs) But 50 years ago, a century ago, no, there's there's something wrong here. And it's not just because culture is slapping you on the wrist. The Bible, we base it on the the Bible. 
We based it on the fact that God has a plan for a man and a woman who really care and want to have children. This is the way it's supposed to happen because God ordained it this way. Think about it. Abortion is now the acceptable way of delaying, of dealing with an inconvenience. We don't need a baby right now, and, and, and let's take that life, and that, it's, it's going to be an inconvenience. So that's acceptable in our culture. You even snuff that out. Take it away. It's about us. We're, we're not married. We don't have to be married, but we care, and, and this inconvenience is in the way. That's acceptable. No, it's not. But you see, you can't really appreciate this strange story unless you understand the culture of that time. That was not acceptable. That's not the way you deal with it. Because that's the result of an unbiblical understanding of what a committed and godly relationship is to be about. So think about it. Put yourself back in this culture was highly ingrained in biblical moral values. This young couple who seemed to be religious, even have a heritage with King David. In this first century context, think about it. Joseph is betrothed to a woman. Oh, Joseph, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. What do you think Joseph was thinking? Think about Joseph, his anguish. Mary had an affair even before we were married. Mary, I thought you loved me. I thought we had something going here. What are you doing, Mary? Wouldn't that be great fodder for some of the trash talk you see on TV, <laughs> some of these talk shows. Oh, Mary, come in here. We want to talk to you about Joseph. Make a mockery. Rip people apart. Joseph could have done that. He had a right to publicly shame and denounce and condemn this woman, this woman he was betrothed to who slept with another man. Yet do you see the testimony to his character. He would not put her to public shame and punishment. That was significant. That was strange. Joseph, don't you understand what just happened? Oh, friends, but look further at this strange story about the origin of this baby in Mary's womb. An angel tells Joseph, Joseph, listen to me, that baby, that's not from man. That's from God, the Holy Spirit, Joseph. She has not slept with another man. She's a virgin. And she has been conceived by the Spirit of Almighty God, Joseph. The angel confirms, do you see that? What was the right and biblical thing for Joseph to do? Do you see when the angel said, Joseph, don't fear. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife. Joseph, she's your wife. This holy matrimony was to be the holy context for the birth of the Christ child. Jesus, Joseph would love her. He would love his wife no matter what. I don't care, Mary, if I look like a fool. I don't care if people don't get it. I will love you, Mary, as my wife. 
because this is God's child. I don't care what the world thinks. What do you think that meant to Mary? <laughs> How do you get rid of this symbolic awareness that people are going to think I've been unfaithful? My husband loves me. <laughs> My husband is not ashamed of me. My husband believes this baby is from God. And we will, we will die with that, with that knowledge. But in addition, to confirm the fact this really wasn't their child, the angel tells him what the name shall be. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Again, what a strange thing to happen. What a strange name. No real connection to Joseph and Mary's heritage, but, but a unique and life-changing name. These two names within this brief section of Matthew, of Jesus and Emmanuel, friends, they would capture the purpose of this baby born to this couple. A purpose unlike any other child. And we're going to see that reflected in the first stanza of the hymn that we'll sing at the end. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Save us. Save us, O God, who has come to us. This sweet Jesus came for one overriding reason, and that was to die as a sacrifice on our behalf, ransom. That means take the place of, stand before, pay my debt, die for me. But friends, as we celebrate again, even though limited, I think we have to stop and realize just how fulfilling and precious it was to have the name Emmanuel. You know, if you haven't realized it by now, <laughs> And you don't have to be a great sociologist. There is something seriously wrong with this world and everyone who exists in it. There is something seriously wrong with this world. There is something seriously wrong with you. There is seriously something wrong with me. No one is unaffected. No one really is righteous. The Bible says not one person has the right to say, I am perfect, I am righteous. No one. To live before a holy God requires a holy life. And that's not one where you excuse yourself by saying, look, I did the best I could. We all make mistakes, don't we? God doesn't, doesn't grade on a bell curve, does he? I am holy. I can have nothing but holiness in front of me. I will receive no one who is not holy. There's no one who is except Jesus. Friends, if you believe this idea, this mentality, all you have to do is do the best you can and God will cover the rest. You're, you're playing a game. You're playing a game because you have to deny the Bible and the very character of God. You almost have to make up your own God and determine how he looks at you to cover over your sin. The God that I would believe in would cut me a break. <laughs> the God that I believe in would understand we all make mistakes. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't overlook. Somebody has to pay 
for the sin against me and my holiness. I'm not so angry as I am righteous. I cannot have unholiness. Somebody has to pay. Emmanuel. So friends, as we once again conclude a beginning of another Advent season, as we start this precious celebration, I urge you again to appreciate the significant name of God with us, Emmanuel. It's absolutely critical. It is life-saving. Because to know that apart from the name of Jesus and his saving love, the message is not God is with us. The message is God is against us. If you don't trust in Jesus, I'm not trying to be some mean hellfire brimstone brothers and sisters. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have God with you in him, he is not for you. He is against you. He will condemn you. He will not put up with your excuses. It's that serious, so serious that he said, I'm going to put my son to death. This is how serious I am. And this is how much I'm against those who deny my son. The second advent of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, will be to end all history. To bring to his eternal home brothers like Frank who have trusted in him and finally to judge the world and to bring to an end the penetrating effects of sin everywhere. Because at that second advent, every sin and every sinner will be judged. So brothers and sisters, let's start this Advent season right. If you have any doubt about your relationship with God, or you have never really given your heart to Jesus, take time now to cry out to him. Ask him to truly be your Emmanuel. And because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he will not only be with you, he will be in you for the rest of your earthly and eternal life. This hymn that we're concluding with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it was written over a thousand years ago. But it was translated in English in the 19th century. And as you sing it, see it, it's a hymn of praise but it's a joy, but it's also a beautiful prayer. The writer is writing a prayer expressing their desire for God to come. Brothers and sisters, as we begin this Advent season, restricted though we are, don't you dare be restricted by the gospel. It is fresh and real for you. And may this be the foundation that we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ because he is Emmanuel. He has come to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, we thank you. You are Emmanuel. You have come to us. And so, God, as we start this season, we want to come to you. We want to be renewed in that old, old story, that truthfulness of the fact that God so loved this world 
that he came, he gave, and all those who trust in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life with the one who has come to us. God bless us even now with that fresh reminder, and we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.